Tonight we'll be in Galatians 6. It's a really short chapter. We'll see if we can stretch it out to the whole, till the whole time. So I'll talk really slow, and that helps keep you awake if I do that nice, slow, and slow. There's a meal sheet for Tanner and Aubrey. They had their little baby. Um, beautiful, healthy, thank goodness. And uh, that's on the front table out there. You can just sign up if you want to take them a meal. And their address and phone number's on there. It's the usual drill. You sign up, you kind of give them a call, let them know, I'm, this is what I'm bringing. What do you like? What do you not like? And uh, when should I drop it off or whatever? Or do you want me to leave it at church and you come pick it up or whatever? And you just kind of work that out with them. But we try to do it every other day for a couple for a week or so and kind of give them a, a time just to enjoy their baby. So that's out there. Um, and that goes for anybody else that has a baby in the fellowship. Just let us know if you're interested in that. We try to keep up on it the best we can and contact you. Sometimes we miss a person we don't mean to. It's not that we don't care about you, but let us know if uh, if you're interested in that. We can. Now you got to have a baby though. Don't be trying, Sam. Trying to sign up for that. That was insulting to you, wasn't it? You're like, I'm sitting right here. What are you talking about? Not at all. Not at all. That's a blessing. And so, I think that's my only announcement for tonight. Um, let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for working out all the technical things with the live feed and all. We pray that you bless those that are watching online and, and those of us who are here and the kids that are being ministered to in the back. We just pray that you keep your hand upon everything. And as Aaron prayed, we do want to be led by your spirit and taught by your spirit and just pray that we'd be open and receptive to everything you have, that we'd receive your word with gladness. Your, your loving Father is always looking out for our best, and, and uh, for encouragement, we'll take it. And if there's any correction, that too. Um, and, and if there's just perseverance or whatever it is that you have for us, we just receive it. We just want to say that ahead of time. Whatever you have for us, God, we, we thank you for it. And so bless us with your word, um, the bread of life, as we break it t- this evening. And uh, we, we eat it and we enjoy it. And uh, we know it has everything we need for our spiritual growth and for our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Galatians didn't start very gracious. It's kind of started off with a curse. Remember that first time when Paul wrote in chapter one of this chapter? It's been a while since we've been way back there, five, six weeks from now. And and he starts off with, you know, if anybody gives you any other doctrine, let him be accursed. It's rare for Paul to start off with a curse. Well, he tries to end on grace tonight, you know, and, uh, and that's always the case. What Paul was passionate about and upset about was being moved from grace. He knows how important that is and that it's not a thing or a part of, it's the thing. It's the reason Christ came. And I'm going to do my best to, to make that point tonight as we get into chapter 6 here, um, the, the completeness that we have in Jesus in our faith. And it's something you can rest upon, that, that completeness, knowing that it's finished, the imputed righteousness of Christ, you know, and that he doesn't impute our sins to us. Both of those two things together, if we just spent a month thinking about or a year thinking about, would bring such peace and refreshment to us. And I hopefully will will understand that. In verse 1, brethren, and so he does kind of tone it down. You're my brothers. I'm just upset that you listened to these yo-yos that came in and tried to push you back in your faith. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, 
lest you also be tempted. The first verse is important. It's, I mean, such a switch of subjects from what he's been talking about, but it goes right along with it. Are you ready and are you prepared to gently receive people back into your life, into your fellowship or into your life personally, Paul says? Because legalism won't let you. Legalism puts barriers and walls up and, and, and is, is, is nothing but the pointing of the finger. That's really what it is. Anybody that embraces that legalism is always focused on you and what you're doing, you know. It isn't, it may start off with me and I really got to work harder at walking with Jesus and I'm all for discipline and striving and, and working and, 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 and getting closer to God and, and, and making the effort, you know. Reading God's word I think is important. I don't think it can, you can neglect that. Praying is important. So sometimes those things in our flesh can be laborious, but we're going to do it anyway, you know. And so there's some, there's some effort on our part. I'm all for that. I think legalism starts off that way. It has good intentions, My intent is to walk even closer with God than I ever have before. And I've set these rules up in my life. January 1, I'm going to... And we even make that face. That should tell us everything we need to know about those rules. (laughs) Is that how your walk with Jesus is going to be? It's like looking at your wife. Now, I know it's our anniversary, but I'm really going to be a better husband. I'm really determined to do it. You know, I didn't know so hard for you. You think about that. It's not that hard to walk with Jesus. He, he tells us that. It's almost like, you know how in movies they kind of look off into middle space when they're trying to be really deep? And I don't, I just get this picture of Jesus. He's, he's looking at me. He says, my, my burden's easy. My yoke, it's light. Why is it so hard for us to walk with a, an easy burden or a light yoke? I don't understand that. And so Paul brings him to that place. Now, besides the fact that you were, everybody wanted to circumcise you and everybody wanted to put you back under the law, and he's going to talk about their motives later on in this chapter, are you ready, he says, to receive a brethren back that's been overtaken in a trespass? Because if you are, the spiritual people, the gentle people are the ones that do it. Are you ready for that? Because that's what Christ came for. Forget that sometimes. See, he's making a very stark contrast between the people that just came to you and told you about the law, have put barriers, have caused you to point the finger, have absolutely done what Christ came to undo. Keeping people from God, keeping people distant, keeping them at arm's length. I've, I've wanted to bring them in. Oh, I've longed to gather you like a mother hen under my wings. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. That's his heart. The legists are saying, you don't deserve to be under the wings of the hen. And God's like, who has authorized you to teach people that? You are unauthorized. So he's challenging them. He's telling them, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, and isn't that a wonderful way to put it? I mean, the, the hard truth is, if there's anybody that's been caught up in sin, that's decided to choose to walk away from God. When they're ready to repent and turn back and begin to walk through the doors again, are you ready to restore such a one? Because Christ came to restore. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Therefore let let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Matthew 7, 3 through 5, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? 
Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your eye? Hypocrite, for remove the plank from your eye first. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The idea is, when you restore in gentleness, you remember how much it hurt when you were restored, the things that you had to go through to get the plank out of your eye. Anybody ever do that, ever saw without having the glasses on like you're supposed to? Max, I'm not looking at you directly, but I always think I can get by with it. Especially when I'm outside, I'm thinking, okay, I get the wind going this way and I can go this way. I've got the chute going that way. It's all going to be fine. For sure enough, the wind changes and blows it right in my face. And I'm, I'm still trying to finish my line. You know, that's super safe. So I know what that's like. And then you spend the next, you know, you try to oh, yeah, pull it over and let it drain out. You do that. You're just, what a waste. If I just put the glasses on, the point was of this is you know how much it hurts. So you have compassion on some guy that comes to you and says, oh man, I got, I got something in my eye. Dude, I've been there. I know what that's like. And you don't go in there with your, with your vice grips, you know, and try to grab them. You're looking, you're like, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to lose your, you know, you're very careful because you've been through the experience. One of the fruit of the spirit, one of the grapes of the cluster. Remember, we talked about that last time in Galatians 5. is gentleness. It's part of it. Don't just restore someone to fellowship. Don't just restore someone into your life. Don't just bring them back. Bring them back with gentleness. It doesn't have to be a big, have you learned your lesson? Let's go over this again. Sit down. Let's talk about this. I want to make sure. Restore someone in a, in a spirit of gentleness. That's, that's Christ's heart. You, you read the, the Gospels and you watch Jesus walk and the way he related to people, he was upset, but only with the religious rulers. And that was for a specific reason. Hardly ever did you see him get mad or angry with someone who was a sinner just coming broken before him that just wanted to be restored. He was like, absolutely, neither do I condemn you. I'll go and sin no more. I mean, this is a harsher rebuke as we get from Jesus for a woman literally caught in the act of adultery. Of course she's repenting. She got caught in the act. I mean, why wouldn't she repent? You know, you can just, I can feel myself in the crowd. I'd repent too if I was sitting here naked in the middle of a bunch of guys with rocks. I don't think she means it, you know, kind of thing. That wasn't his response. His response was so much more gentle. He just looked at them and says, you guys got any planks you want me to remove from your life? And they start thinking about all their sins as he's writing in the dirt, and they all begin to walk away. And she says, well, where's your accusers? See, he doesn't want us to be the accusers. There is an accuser of the brethren. I don't want to be his son. I don't want to be his daughter. The accuser of the brethren is the enemy. Christ came to defeat him. So restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness because Christ came to restore. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens. It's part of it. There is no break there. One and two go together. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which we, wrote, we read earlier. Love, to love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says everything hangs on that. You want to love God, you've got to love people. In order to love people, you've got to do this. You've got to restore Um, several of the passages that we read about Jesus healing. It's what he did. You wonder, you know, what was with all the healings, for one thing. It's, a, it's just a nice thing to do to give people eyesight. 
But if you got a blind guy and you made him a sight guy and he still goes to hell, what difference does it make, you know? I mean, even I know that the spiritual implications were far more important than the physical ones, and yet Jesus spent a lot of time restoring people physically. And I wonder if his whole life was one gigantic object lesson. I'm here to restore the withered hand. I'm here to give sight to the blind. I'm here to open the ears of the deaf and to cause those who couldn't speak, I want them to speak. That's what I'm here for, to restore such a one. I want to do that to your soul too, though. I want to do that to your spirit. I want to restore you to myself. I want to make you whole, complete, because we're not. I stole this from somebody. I'm admitting that. I don't remember who it was. I should probably give credit. I will in the teaching. I'll put it in the comments of this uh, live stream here because I don't want to steal it and not give credit. But so just a really good insight. When God made the, you know, the six days of creation and the seventh day of rest, he starts off with uh, you know, the water. He makes the water first, and then, he, and then he makes the fish to go in the water. Maybe some of you know this, and it's new to me. And then he made the earth. And after he made the earth, he made the things that go on the earth, right? And then he made man, right? And you put all those things together, it's like you can't have a fish out of water, right? Because it'll die. The water's fine without the fish, but with, without the water, the fish dies. And likewise with the earth. The earth's fine without the animals, but without the earth, the animals ain't going to make it, you know? So they need it. And when he made us, he consulted himself. Let's make us and let's make man in our image, See, God is fine without us, but without God, we can't exist. We're, we're designed and built to be in his environment, to be in his world. And when we're outside of his world, we die. That's what he's talking about. You eat that fruit, you're going to die. You're jumping out of the water. You're a fish out of water. You're a person outside of Christ. You're dead. I want to put you back in that place. Restore such a one. I want to give you your arm back, your sight back, your ears back, your, your tongue back. I want to give you, make that leprosy go away. I want your skin restored. I want to do that to your spirit. I want to revive that. I want to make you whole again. So he calls us in that verse 2 to bear one another's burdens, to fulfill that law of Christ. Can you bear other people's burdens? Sometimes you think that means problems. I guess it does, to an extent. You know, will you bear other people's problems? Yeah, I'm going to do it all the time. And, and they bear with you too, and you kind of think of it that way. Can you, can you put up with people walking away from Christ or sinning and then coming back to Christ? Can you be the hands and feet of Christ to someone who goes back and forth, who falls into sin? See, I like a lot of people, and I enjoy fellowship with them because they don't tell me about their sin most of the time. Very few people walk up and say, Pastor J.D., I sinned super big today, and I'm coming to repent and ask for forgiveness. That never happens to me, right? But I know it happens in everybody's lives. I just don't, we don't have those moments. Am I willing to be that kind of person that someone could come up to me and say, I sinned super big today, and I need to find my way back to God. I need to, am I ready and be excited to restore someone? I think I am given the opportunity, but do I carry myself in such a way that I'm a safe person to come talk to about these things that I know that they're not going to get this? Oh, well, let's sit here and talk about this first. Before we do any restoration, before we do any withered hand healing or eyes open you know, sight and open your ears, let's talk about your deafness. Let's talk about your sightlessness. Let's talk about your being crippled here. We're called to that. 
I'm to look for the opportunity to restore people, to bear their burdens. People sought Jesus out. How did he get 5,000 people to show up in the middle of nowhere to listen to a teaching? They knew they could trust him. They can trust him with their soul. They can trust him with their spirit. They can trust him. I can tell him anything. I feel horrible, but wicked, but I know what I'm going to get when I come to this man. You know? We want to be those people. Paul is begging them, don't go down this road of legalism. People can't come to you. People can't talk about their sin. All we can talk about is our successes and how well we did that day. We can't talk about our failures. We can't restore each other because all we're doing is comparing each other. And if I say that I sinned big, they'll feel better about themselves and say, you did. Well, that's really too bad. I didn't. And that's the relationship we have with one another in legalism. It's a horrible place to be. It's a horrible church to have. I don't want that church. I don't want that church. That's a horrible church to be a part of. And the parts make up the whole. Each one of us has to make a decision to be and understand this chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Are we ready? Can anybody in this room come up to you and talk to you about their worst sin? And it's got to be, I, get, I do get that. Sometimes. Can I meet with you? Sure. It's bad. I think I've literally heard everything. You could not surprise me. And in fact, I bet I could surprise you with some of mine. But I'm not going to do that. I don't like measuring sin for sin either. But you can't surprise me. I saw this online. I did this in person. None of it shocks me. And if it does... I mean, I challenge you. No, not to go do it. (laughs) Not to go do it, but to talk to me about it. I want you to know that about me. You can literally tell me any sin you've ever committed, and it won't surprise you. And I'm not the one you need to confess to. I'm not trying to replace God. And this can be in between you and him, but if you did need to talk to somebody about some desperate, horrible thing you've done, I'm the guy. I want to be that guy. I want to be that pastor. I want to be that church. And so I lead that way. You can't, you can't surprise me. I've heard some amazing things, and I don't mean amazing good. <laughs> and we worked through it. And the burden and the relief they felt saying, I can't believe that I'm still talking to you. You haven't walked out of the room. Or you haven't. No, I, I got stuff to make your hair curl in my life. I went through my life. It's just probably two days ago, not go through the whole thing. I was just going through some memories. I'm like, I can't believe where I am today compared with what I experienced as I grew up. Not that I was not that sin was thrust upon me, but the experimentation and sin that I did. I can't believe I'm standing here, you know? I'm still in awe of those things. So no, you're not gonna surprise me. I will bear your burden with you. As a pastor, and no one will know. I won't even tell my wife. We're two or one flesh. I'll tell her if you want me to tell her. But no, it's between me and you. I won't tell anybody. And better yet, also, if you want to just go to Christ himself, you know you can talk to him. You know you can tell him. You know he was there when you did it. He's not surprised by it. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you took him into everything you've ever done. He was a witness and a participant. And that's hard. 
But it's not news to him when you talk to him about that. You can talk to Jesus about everything, you know? He wants us as a body of believers to be the hands and feet of Christ and the ears of Christ and the eyes of Christ and all those things. He wants us to have the mind of Christ as a fellowship. Everybody should be able to walk through these doors and feel welcome and encouraged and we can bear their burdens and we can pray with them and we can restore them in a spirit of gentleness. We need to be those people. I think we are. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't see anybody, you know, you know, John out there not shaking people by their ankles saying, you sinner, you know, we're letting people in. I have no idea, but I don't even want that to be hinted at the coffee bar or in bathroom breaks or at the kitchen or in classrooms or anything like that. We don't want any of that hidden stuff. You know, that grace needs to be the only thing. And that's where verse three comes in. Paul says, for if anyone thinks of himself as to be something like I've arrived When he is nothing, he deceives himself. You're fooling yourself if you don't think you're right alongside the worst sinner in the world. You are. You're as saved as the worst sinner, and the worst sinner is as saved as you. There is no levels. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. He's not switching ideas. I mean, he is. He's just switching the focus. Don't worry about everybody else's um, obedience to God. That isn't my job to be the, you know, it, this is different from being, a, am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where, you know, I don't know where Abel is, Cain said. Am I my brother's keeper? That was a different conversation. I am not your, Chuck Smith has always encouraged us at the senior pastor's Scott, keep a light touch on the people. I'm not here to check up on you. Make sure, where were you and how come? We prepare the table here, we open the doors, we turn on the lights, we do our part, we study, we prepare, we get practice in, we get the place set up, the cups are there, the coffee's there, the fishy crackers are definitely there, they're all ready, we're all ready for you. You You come, you come. You don't, you don't. Um, We want to be careful. I make sure, Paul tells Timothy, take heed to yourself and to your doctrine, and those around you will get saved. I worry about getting them saved. I worry about my walk with, the, with Jesus. And when that grace and mercy is flooded into me as I need it from Christ, it'll flood out of me. Legalism floods into me. That's what flows out of me. Input, output. So we examine our own work. I don't examine your work. We don't examine each other's work. We examine our own work. And then he, the person who examines himself, will have rejoicing. I'm excited. Now, Um, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 31. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Those are examples of, of God physically healing people and God getting the glory for it. Likewise, we want to be known for restoring people spiritually that God might get the glory for him. I can't believe that person came through the door. Has anybody noticed anything in January on Sunday mornings? There's a lot of new people. There's a lot of people that come up to me and say, he's here. Never thought I'd ever see him here. Don't say that so loud. He can hear you, you know. He's here. They want to come. They do. 
They have that heart. They may not say it out loud, but they have that heart. They have that pulling, that same pulling that I had when I was an unbeliever, the Holy Spirit trying to get me and trying to glue me, and I'm just, ah, you know. I, I wanted to come. And I was the guy, which is funny, it's ironic, I was the guy that didn't want anybody to notice me there. Do not come up and say hi to me. Do not shake my hand. Don't be chummy. Leave me alone. I'm here to meet God. You know, the exact opposite of what most people, I was not welcomed and nobody shook my hand because I hated that. I'm sorry. How are you? I'm JD. Glad you're here at Calvary and, and I didn't want to smother you, but hey, you know, come on in. We want to be known for that. A place where people can sneak in or come in and feel welcome, whatever. We, everybody's different. Every one of you is different. Yeah. John 10.10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Satan wants to destroy. Satan wants to distance us from each other, distance us from sinners. And Christ does the opposite. That's what the thief does. He kills, destroys, and makes distance I've come to give my life more abundantly. I think we have the wrong idea, and a lot of people do, and I, I sometimes get a whiteboard, but I didn't have time for it. But we get this circle that we live in, you know, and this is who I am and what I do and all that. Thing. And you want me to come to Christ, and we get the idea that God's going to make a smaller circle in our life, you know. And now we've got to get rid of all these cool things that are on the outskirts of God's holiness and righteousness, and now I get to be holy and righteous. And there's like this little tiny circle within this grand life that I have. That's not it. God's got this gigantic circle. He says, no, I just want to get rid of your sins so you can break out of your prison and enjoy the life I've had for you. I've come to give you life more abundantly, you know? So much more that you're, you're excluding from your life because you're stuck in, 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 a, in a cell. You're in prison of sin. I want to get rid of all that so you can enjoy all the things I have for you. I've got adventures. I've got people. I want to put you in places and opportunities that you never thought you'd have. I'm going to give you love, peace, grace, mercy. In your life, you can sleep at night again. You can rest again, you know. I've got so much I want to give you. Contentment. You have no idea how much stress and anxiety you have in your life that I want to take away from you. I want to give you life more abundantly. Join me, you know. I'm not, I'm not shrinking your world. I'm expanding it. Paul's just saying, please don't shrink with these legalists. Don't shrink it. You're cutting people off from the abundance of Christ. He's setting us free. He's giving us liberty to thoroughly enjoy everything he has for us. He says in verse 6, switching gears a little bit, let him who is taught the word share in all the good things with him who teaches. You know how you do that? You receive it. That's why the prayer was so uh, heartfelt tonight, or maybe uh, I focused on it a little bit more. I love to teach God's Word, and I was totally blessed by studying, and I am closer to Christ after studying, and hey, it was great because I received it. Everybody that receives God's Word receives the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Your life's better too. That's all Paul's saying. Let him receive them. Let him get those things. In Luke chapter 8, verse 15, but the one that fell on good ground, the soil, the good soil, the seed of God's word, are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. 
rejecting God's word or rejecting the teaching is just like hard soil where the word of God, like seed bounces off and ends up getting washed away or doesn't get root. He wants us to prepare that. Kim, Kim Watson was sharing last Sunday on his way down. He goes, man, it makes such a difference when I pray and listen to worship music on the way to church. The teaching's just so much deeper and richer, you know, is the idea. I, I, the, the soil of my heart's plowed up. I don't have to get plowed up when I show up and I walk in the door and I get my coffee and I sit down and I'll bless me, you know, kind of thing. And you're, and the whole worship time, all five songs or how many songs we ding is, you know, the, the worship team's got, you know, jackhammers and trying to plow up the soil of your heart so that when the word of God comes, it can get into the dirt, you know. We can do that beforehand. Take some time. Let church start. If you come at 11... Start church at 10.30 in your life. That's it. I'm, I'm getting rid of all the distractions. I'm worshiping God. I'm preparing my heart. I don't feel like it, but God, pray. I'm praying. I'm, help me. I need help. I don't want us to pray this morning. I need help. I need to. And you're plowing up the soil of your heart, and then you sit down, and all of a sudden, answers come from God's Word, from the worship songs or something. You'll sing something. Oh, that was so amazing. So I get that. <laughs> Wow, that worship was really anointed today. It was anointed last week too, by the way. More than likely, you just weren't in that position in your heart to receive that wonderful worship because it was as good last week as it was this week. It's not the people. It's the soil of the heart, our own hearts. James 1.25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, is not forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Hearing the word of God and doing it, receiving it with gladness, then verse 6 applies. You'll share in all the good things. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. He who sows to his flesh will reap of the flesh. Corruption. He who sows to the Spirit well, the Spirit reap everlasting, reap everlasting life. It's a very simple in and out program. It is. I remember, uh, I mean, back when the internet just started, and we had the Apple that was like the, the clear Apple thing on your, on your space age looking, and boy, we were, we were it, you know, but talk about a big piece of hardware. Anyway, we were trying to figure it out, and Jenny and I are looking at it, and we see something over here we're interested in because it started flashing. You don't click on the flashing things on the side. You just read the text, and we clicked on it. All of a sudden, all the pop-ups happened, all these ads. Now you can't even see what you're trying to read anymore. You're trying to close them as fast as they pop up. Pretty soon your computer's so bogged down, you can't even, nothing's running anymore, Right? I'm not saying we're computers, but spiritually speaking, the more flesh I sow to, the more things of the world, the carnal things, the things that have nothing to do with God or eternity, the more I do, those are those pop-ups, and pretty soon I'm paralyzed by them. I appreciate newscasters, and I appreciate the conservative news guys, and I understand the the left-leaning folks and, and the battle that rages between them, but honestly... All that going in, both sides or one side and or whatever, it can be paralyzing spiritually to you. 
It's hard to think of love and peace and gentleness and long-suffering and kindness and restoring people and helping sinners and all that when all you can do is, that's all you're doing is, yeah, I agree. And I point. I'm conservative, don't get me wrong. And I, there, I, I prefer some news organizations over others like everybody else. But I can find myself, either whether it's from the radio or whether it's from the television or something that I'm hearing, it can... All of a sudden, I'm in this world, and I'm concerned about the things of this world, and I'm not concerned about the things of God anymore. I'm not. I'm focused on it. It becomes my gospel. It becomes my mantra. It's what I talk about. We have a conversation. That's what I bring up. I don't bring up Jesus. I don't bring up Scripture. I don't bring up anything else. I bring up that, because that's the thing of the day, right? It can consume me. But when I quiet myself, and I get into God's Word, and I begin to pray, I become, it becomes very clear how to navigate and affect, effectively, this world for Christ. And that's all he's saying. Don't, don't be deceived. Whatever you sow, you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap of the flesh. You sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap of the Spirit. And that's just a question of what you want. And that's what you do, you know. And so he's just a, a very simple warning to them. Don't sow to the flesh. Now, what he's talking about is, is, is the religious rulers that came in and tried to bring in legalism to them. You sow to that, you're going to be just like that. That's what you grow. You can't put that seed in the ground in your garden and not expect some fruit from it. It's going to happen. And that's in any sin or any legalism like this. That's what's going to grow in your life. You cannot grow both crops. One's going to choke out the other. And so it's a simple ratio. Sow to the spirit, don't sow to the flesh, and you'll have a spiritual walk and a spiritual life, and your eyes will be open, and you'll walk closer with Jesus, and there'll be more of all the things he promised you in the spirit. You don't do that? Just don't be surprised. It's a decision we make in that liberty that he's given us. I have liberty, but not everything that I plant is worth it. Verse 9, and let us not grow weary while doing good. In that planting of the spiritual things, remember, 9 and 8 and 7 go together. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. I mean, the spiritual things don't grow near as fast as I'd like them to. I think everybody can agree on that. I put that quiet time in, I want to see some fruit in my life. I had quiet time, where's my peace? Don't grow weary in well-doing. Continue in that. Continue. One of the things I like watching now is these guys that take sledgehammers and start beating on a giant boulder. Have you ever watched one of those? It's probably one of the boringest things for everybody else in the world but me. But I'm looking at him, and he's taking this, I suppose it's an eight-pound sledge. I don't know what a standard sledge is, eight, maybe 12. And he takes it, and he just, boom! And I'm like, you're an idiot. That thing's marble or whatever it is, and I'm looking at that thing, I'm like, and after about 12 or 15 times, all of a sudden you see it go, it makes that fracture. I'm like, no way. Because once that sledgehammer bounces off the first time, I'm like, I need to go to the rental store. I mean, that's it. I would not continue the project. I need a skid loader, need a helicopter, drop it from something. There's no way I'm going to do this. Spiritual things take effort and and consistency. And if you got something that you've been battling with for 20, 10, 20, 30 years of your life, and you hit it with a quiet time, 
This is never going to happen. You know? No, you take the word of God like a 12-pound sledge on that sin in your life. You go, bam! And you just keep whacking at that thing. And you keep whacking at that. I'm tired. I'm weak. I can't lift the sledge up anymore. Do it again. Boom. Fracture. A breakthrough. You know? These guys crush these things. I'm like, that's amazing. I'm just not a gardener, so I had to go to the sledge rock scenario. I understand that. Consistency, consistently walking with the Lord, consistently pouring God's word into your heart and into your life, into your eyes, that my eyes see the spiritual things of the world, that I let my eyes see the things, I dwell on things, I focus on the things that are lovely, that are pure, that are holy, that are of God, that are gentle. I focus on, I soak that stuff in. I'm a better husband, and I'm a better dad, and I'm a better pastor. I'm a better friend. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't quit. See with what large letters I have written, he says. Oh, wait, I skipped 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And that's, I don't want to spend too much time on that, but that's a spider. The Bible really, really talks about believers taking care of believers. Yes, there is some outreach to unbelievers with material or physical things. That does happen. Five loaves, two fish. I know the whole stories. But when he talks about the church, he says, make sure you're taking care of the household of faith. Make sure that those folks are taken care of. And so we do that quite a bit here. We give a lot of helps out, but to people that are in the fellowship. I, I don't understand that sometimes when people say, hey, you know, can we get married at your church? Why don't you get married at your church? Oh, we don't go to church. And why do you want to have a church wedding? Why do you want to make, and I don't mean to be that way. I kind of do. Just a little challenge. Not trying to ruin your day here. You're probably eight months out, but let me just plant a seed. Why aren't you going to church? And after the wedding, are you done with God? Because your marriage isn't going to survive without him. It won't make it. And if it does, you'll be roommates, and that's about it. There'll be no depth, no intimacy, you know? And, and that goes along with food, and that goes along with that. Oh, yeah, I just, you know, I, I didn't know if you guys helped with electric bills. We absolutely do. And gas bills, and house payments, and car payments sometimes. We'll do that, absolutely. Who are you? You give it to people here. But you don't want God unless he wants to give you something. And you call every single church. And it's a Friday night. I mean, there's just a lot going on there, you know. Well, here, give me, the, give me your account number and I'll go ahead and call KCPNL and I'll pay it for you. No, 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 I just want the cash. No, Friday night and the meth is flowing, you know, kind of thing. i be careful about that. So I read verse 10, and I don't want to take it too much out of context, but therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially of those who are the household of faith. I'm not saying neglect the unbeliever at all. Don't get me wrong. But I do focus on those who have surrendered their hearts to the Lord and want to walk with Him and are having a difficult time, and the body of Christ is here to help the body of Christ. We really are. That's our primary, that's our primary service. Verse 11, see then with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. That's more an indication that maybe he had an eye problem. Paul might have had an eye problem because, you know, people who can't see have, you know, they do that with big 
You just want him to know it was me. This is not a scribe writing this. This is nobody else's opinion. It's actually me. It's my handwriting. Verse 12, as many as desire to make good, a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Now he's getting into the motivations behind the guys that came and talked to the Galatians. The reason they came is because although they preached Christ, they preached circumcision so that the Jews weren't mad at them all the time. So that they could get, you know... So this brings up a whole other, not argument, but just a, a thing to work through in your own... Well, I want to become all things to all men. I don't want to offend the Jews, so I preach some circumcision a little bit too. Mm-mm. This is where Paul draws a line, and I think there has to be a line that needs to be drawn. I do want to become all things to all men. I don't want to offend for the sake of offense, but I also want to teach grace, freedom, and liberty, and I cannot mix that doctrine just not to offend you into this because it's going to ruin the whole liberty, grace, and mercy thing over here. I can't do that. I can't preach the cross, the imputed righteousness of Christ, the given and the not imputed sin, and then talk about imputing. I can't do it. It doesn't work. There are, there's just lines there that you can't cross. And that's what he's saying. They only want to circumcise you. And they do it out of selfishness. They don't really care. They just don't want anybody to get mad at them for not preaching the, the legal side of things. For not even those who were circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Christ is the end of ritual relationship with God. Christ is the end of a ritual relationship with God. There are no more rituals to come to Christ. None of them. Well, what about some of the, what do they call them, the sacraments? You know, these are sacraments. These are part. There's some things that he's called us to do, but not for salvation. I mean, yeah, I want you, you should be baptized as your first obedience as a child of God, but the child of God came first before baptism. That's not a prerequisite to salvation. It's just something you do afterwards. Communion? Sure, absolutely. We break bread. We want to do that. That's part of Acts 2.42, we believe, and we want to do that as often, he says. So it can be once a month, it can be every day, it can be every week, whatever. But it's not part of salvation something we do. It's not how we have a relationship with God. That's not, our, that's not our gate to get into heaven or to be close to Christ. It's something we do to have fellowship with him, but not... If we didn't, if we excluded those things, doesn't mean we don't have fellowship with Christ. And so on. Circumcision is one of them. They just want to boast in your flesh. They're not boasting in the spirit. They're boasting in the flesh. You can see the contrast he's making here. Those guys were interested in a flesh, not in that. They're looking for those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh. For some people, that's all that matters with their walk with Jesus. Do I look good to everybody else? Does everybody think that I'm super spiritual and holy because I do this, that, or the other thing publicly at church? No. That's a fleshy thing. Can you do it without anybody seeing you? you know, without making an announcement, without making a post? I pray for people. I just don't post about it a lot. I don't think you prayed for me. I did. I prayed for you. But you didn't post anything. Well, no. <laughs> I didn't. I can. I prayed for Bob. I don't know if your name's Bob or not. Sorry. But who cares? 
But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. That's the difference. It makes the difference there. In Galatians 1.8, he started off with, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than what, I've, what you've received from me, let him be accursed. And then he ends with a blessing. You're a new creation in Christ. You are the fruit of the gospel. Um, the flesh is no longer a part of it. You're, the sacrifices, the ritualistic walk with God, um, it's, it's no longer how we get there anymore. And he's just trying to make a strong point. You've got you've got this relationship with Christ now and you're trying to go back to a ritualistic relationship and that's a, it's a waste of time and it's, it's counterproductive and it actually causes the personal relationship to vanish. So, verse 16, and as many as walk according to this rule, the rule I just laid out in these first six chapters, these only six chapters, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Verse 17 is kind of funny. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He's had it, in a way, you know. Don't talk about me not knowing. Don't talk about me not understanding. It's like, no, I bear in my body, and he does. The stripes, the whippings, the the beatings that he took, the resurrection from the dead we believe took place in his life. Um. He bears marks and scars that Christ, he finished up, he says, I finished up in my body the sufferings of Christ. Not that the Christ's sufferings weren't enough, but that they continued in my life. I got scars that those guys don't have. Don't trouble me anymore about this. It's grace. That's what he's getting at. What I'm telling you here in these six chapters, that's the truth. What they told you is not the truth. Don't trouble me about this anymore. Don't be falling for this anymore. Don't be going backwards into this legalistic relationship. Don't even go there anymore. It troubles me in my heart. Don't do that. Stay. Stay here. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. And that's a different tone than verse, you know, chapter 1, isn't it? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's all I want you to have is grace. Unrich, the, the riches of Christ given to you. They're, they're unearned and unmerited. You know. um, I'll close with this, these few cross-references here. I've got two minutes. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. This committed to us the word of reconciliation. That's what the church is for. That's what you as a believer are for. We're called to carry this message and this message only. Be reconciled to God. 
And your reconciliation has been handled by God at the cross. He has not imputed your trespasses to you. He's forgiven you of your sins. Later on, Romans chapter 4, verses 5 through 8, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, has, uh, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Now he switches here. He's going to quote David. Now here's what he said. God imputes righteousness. Here's what David said. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Paul doesn't see a difference. I can read a difference. You just said God imputes righteousness, but actually David didn't say God imputes righteousness. He said God doesn't impute sin. It's the same thing. It's the same coin. They're two different sides. When God doesn't impute your righteousness to you, and you have to know that as a believer, all of your sins, none of them has been imputed to you. They've been kept back. They've been forgiven. I don't put them on your record. It's not that you have a clean slate or a ripped up record. You don't have a record at all. I've not imputed your sins to you. That means by default, you have the righteousness of Christ. You can't do any better than that. Circumcision is not going to improve that, Paul says. And that's why he finishes this way. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I want you restored. I want you brought all the way back. And I want you to do that for other people. Let them know they can have that. That's a gospel. That's good news. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul's heart to write such a difficult letter, such a heartfelt, powerful letter to this group, this group of Believers here, this, these churches here in Galatia. He so desperately wanted them to remain. And that beautiful childlike faith of grace and mercy and peace and to spread that. And like a father, he is so upset with those who'd want to pervert the path that he had set them on. So God, help us to see that in our own lives. Help us not to pervert the path that you placed us on this rest, this peace, this gentleness that you've given us, not imputing our sins to us, but imputing the righteousness of Christ to us. We don't fully understand that and be able to share that with other people that are struggling with approaching you. They don't know how to come close to you. They don't know if they can. They don't know the steps. They don't know the rituals. And we have the gospel. We have the good news we can share with them. They can boldly come to you. Help us to lead them there. We don't want to be doors to the kingdom of God. We want to be people that walk through the gate with other people. So show us those people this week, people that need this kind of love, this kind of news, and help us to take them there personally. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. I'll be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.